Good morning to each of you. We're on our way home to South Carolina from a wedding in Pennsylvania, and to use the words of the song, we hope by God's good pleasure safely to arrive at home. And I hope uh, that's true for all of us in the spiritual, <clears throat> spiritual sense as well. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I want to read verses 20 to 26. <clears throat> I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. By way of introduction, I want to read a little bit from an article that was a book review that a lady uh, wrote. And so, just uh, want to read here a little bit from that article. And this lady is writing, I am reading a book on the plane. The man whose arm threatens to touch mine is reading a book as well. In other words, her seatmate. I sneak sideways glances at his title page and realize we are both reading books about children. I am reading my book because I'm a parent of six children and I take any wisdom and sucker I can find, though I'm not sure I have the appetite for yet another treatise on parenting. The man next to me, I discover, mid-flight, is a doctor. His wife is a critical care nurse and they are reading theirs because they're about to become foster parents. She leans over and tells me why. I've seen too many beaten and dying children in the emergency room. We have to do something. I'm tired of seeing dead kids. I had no words to say after this exchange, but my initial hesitation about the book evaporated. I returned to its pages, which then burned in my hands with the fire of her words and her face, a book that suddenly became more than diversion, more than entertainment, more than information. And the lady who's writing this goes on to explain that much of what has directed uh, children's rights, uh, the children's rights issue in the last several decades, and also has guided the legal system, uh, system in trying to administer uh, the justice for children is the question, and this question, what is in the best interest of children? What is in the best interest of children? 
And perhaps we're familiar with that term. Maybe we've used it ourselves to justify some decision we made about our own children and said, well, we think this is in the best interest of our children. What if some government employee or some agency uses it against you as a parent about your children? Well, it's in the best interest of your children that we take them. That has happened sometimes uh, in some, uh, because of some tragedy or, or neglect. But even at its, at its best, this reviewer would contend that the best interest of the child falls short. Rather, the question we ought to ask is, how can we best love the child? Not what's in the best interest of the child, but how can we best love the child? And that really isn't the best interest of the child. But how can we best love the child? And that was the question of the book that she was reviewing. And as, the, uh, as she explained it, uh, when you substitute the word love, what is in the best love for the child instead of the best interest of the child, it moves the discussion of children's well-being far forward. It, it's not enough that children be provided with food and shelter and, and education and health care and that, but they need to be loved. They need to be loved with the love of God. They need to be loved by people who know the love of God. They need to be loved in their homes, and they even need to be loved with the love of God in institutional settings. And not only do children need to be loved, they need to be taught to love. How can children be taught to love others so that they will live lives of generosity and of compassion for all people? This message this morning will touch on that, although the message really isn't about raising children, uh, or it isn't all about raising children. Rather, this issue of children's well-being and its effect is, uh, is a vehicle for us to think about a larger issue and to think about ourselves as the children of God and of God loving us and what effect that has on us as being recipients of God's love, but also as parents of our own children. So it's kind of a two-pronged thing. We want to think about God's love to us and the effect on us, but then also in turn as us as parents, those of us who have parents, in our love for our children. And first I'd like to say, as we get into the body of the message, that we are recipients of the best love. We are recipients of the best love, and that is beyond doubt. And I like to look at a number of scriptures, um, and I know that as we turn to scriptures, sometimes we kind of get fatigued with that. I don't usually use a lot of different scriptures when I preach, but this morning I do want to use some, and a lot of them are from John, either the book of John or from 1 John, and some are from some other places, and so I won't always... Uh, uh, I ask you to turn to those. I have some of those. I have verses in my notes. But let me ask you this. Do you love me, those of you who have children or those of you who have boy children? Do you love me as much as you love your son? Well, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't. Uh, but let's think about these familiar passages that talk, first of all, about God's love 
for us in light of his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he gave his only begotten son. We are recipients of the best love because God so loved us that he gave his son for us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So from God's point of view, or from thinking about God and God the Father, we are the recipients of the best love because God gave his son for us. And if he will give his son for us, then he will give us all that we, all that we need. But we're recipients of the best love, not just from God the Father, but also from God uh, the Son, from Jesus Christ himself. Let's go to John 15. John 15, verse 9. Jesus speaking, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. So we're recipients of the love of Christ. Now let's go to John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he would, should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were, were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so we're recipients of Christ's love. Let's go to chapter 10, John 10, beginning with verse 14. John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And here it doesn't use the word love, but we know the love of God, or of Christ, of God. Uh, same person, God, the Son. We know the love of God, the Son, because he laid down his life for the sheep. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And so it was a voluntary thing, even though as the events played out uh, there on, on, uh, in the garden and so forth, you know, they, they came with the soldiers, they came with the high priest, they came and, and they seized him. Yet it was a voluntary action. He wouldn't have had to have done that. And so he, he was not just victimized. Uh, he laid it down of itself, an expression of his love. We are recipients of the best love. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And yet, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Do you doubt that we're recipients of the best love? Well, I'm sure that we all know that we are. We're recipients of the best love.
While we know it in our heads, do we show it in our lives? But before I go on, I want us to ask this question. I want us to think about this question, the issue of the relationship between best interest and best love. And I, I introduced this message about talking about the best interest of the child, and then I talked about the best love, and I'm saying that I said uh, just kind of offhand, well, I was offhand, that the best interest of the child is the best love, or the best love is in the child's best interest. But the question is this. Um, there in John 17 that I read, verse 23, it says that, that uh, God the Father uh, loved the Son says there, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so we know that God the Father loved Christ, loved the Son. But was it in Christ's best interests? Was it in Christ's best interest for the Father to give his Son for our atonement? We know it was in our best interest but it was it in Christ's best interest to be sacrificed, to give, for the Father to give him as a sacrifice for our sins. So put that on the back burner. We'll pick it up later. Let it simmer back there. Was it in Christ's best interest as the Son of God for God to give him for our sins? Moving on, what kind of response should be should the best love bring from us? So if we're recipients of the best love, what kind of response should that bring from reasonable people? In John chapter 8, verse 42, there Jesus was in a conversation, in an exchange with the Pharisees, and he said this, uh, If God were your father, you would love me. If God were my father, you would love me. And John writes that we love him, and in 1 John 4, we love him because he first loved us. But how does that love show itself in our lives? And Paul gets to the heart of the matter in, in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's what, that is a response for reasonable people, that we have received the best love, and so that we present our loves, ourselves, to God as living sacrifices, as a, as a, in, in living worship, and for what God would have for our lives as a response to his love. And a particular aspect of that response is uh, under the category of obedience. And so we are obedient because of the best love. We are recipients of the best love, and that in turn then causes us to be obedient. And so I'd like for us to look at a few uh, verses that, that talks about that. John chapter 14, verse 15. Since we have received the best love, 
uh, and God has sacrificed his son for us on our behalf, then that calls for us as reasonable people to, to be obedient to Christ. He has, he has given us uh, his son so that we would not perish, and so we should be obedient. In chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So what is the response for the best love? To keep his commandments. Let's go to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let's go to verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And so that's saying the opposite. If we don't keep God's words, then we don't love him. And we can say we love him, but if we don't keep his words, we're not loving him. But he who does love God, that is the response. We're obedient because of the best love. And 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Keeping God's commandments means, of course, uh, that we live according to the specific teachings of Scripture. It also means something that that stands out uh, in Scripture. And I'd like for us to look in John, in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, where, where uh, Zechariah is prophesying after the birth of John, and in his prophecy, he's actually talking about the redemption of, of Christ. He's... he's He's talking in, in the first part there about, about Christ. And then later on he says, And you, child, will be called prophet of the highest. And then he, he's speaking about his own son, John. But he says, uh, verse 69, Blessed be the God and Father, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he's visited and redeemed his people. And then uh, going on to verse 74, To grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. What does it mean to, uh, to respond to the best love? To be obedient uh, to the commands of Scripture, but in a, in a larger sense, to, to live a life that is holy and, and righteous before God. And it picks up that same thing of holiness and righteousness in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 24, or yeah, I think it's uh, Ephesians 4, 24, where it says, And that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And I'm impressed as I go through uh, the New Testament where it, it talks about righteousness. Uh, and of course our righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ, but then we begin to, to live a life of uh, to a, a life of uh, produce a life of righteousness, and so responding to the best love is a life of obedience. It is a life of holiness. It is a life of righteousness. We're responding to the love that God has given to us. And one other thing of responding to the love of God. Let's look in John again, John chapter twenty-one, verses fifteen to seventeen, and this is that time when the disciples were fishing, or at least some of them were, after uh, Christ had been crucified. And then Jesus uh, came, and he had, 
invited him to breakfast. And after breakfast, verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Joseph, Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So what Jesus asked of Peter was, do you love me more than these? And what are the these in our lives? Well, when he said more than these, maybe he was saying more than the fish. And I'm not saying that God is asking us all to leave our cows or to leave our chickens or leave our turkeys or to leave our shop or to leave whatever. Uh, but are we willing to leave the these, things that, that we prefer or things that we um, want to do or uh, uh, perhaps a direction that we're taking in life and God wants to change our lives uh, into a different direction and we want to hang on to the these things and God says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than what you have planned for your life? Do you, do you love me to follow the path I have for you? And these things are not necessarily wrong. It's, it has to do with, our, do we love God? Do we respond to live within the will of God? It's perhaps another way to say that. Now, I want to think now, uh, continuing to think about the love of God and the best love. We are recipients of the best love. We are obedient because of the best love. Thirdly, we are also transformed by the best love. I had a relative who was a problem student in school, and it wasn't because of lack of intelligence or, or learning ability, but because of his behavior. And finally, the school board chairman, an unsophisticated Rockingham County farmer, said this, don't you wish you had the love of Jesus in your heart? And that man, uh, got right to the heart of the issue. That boy did not have the love of Jesus, and he was old enough to have had the love of Jesus in his heart, but he didn't have the love of Jesus in his heart. Now, going back to John chapter 17, verse 26. I have declared to them your love and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I am them. The love of God in our hearts. So he asked, don't you wish you had the love of God in your heart? And it talks about, and I will be there. And Jesus, when the love of God is in our hearts, then Jesus is in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that is, has a transforming effect in our lives. That changes our values. That changes our motives. That changes how we behave and how we respond. 
Just as children who receive love are most likely to show love, so we who have received the best love should be transformed by that love and show that love in our own uh, hearts and in our own lives. And I, again, I'd like to turn to the scriptures to show that. And let's go to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. And I've used some of these verses that I'm going to read already, uh, but I'm going to read it in its larger context. And we're, we're thinking now how that the love of God, recipients of the love of God, God's best love in our hearts transforms our lives and makes us into different kind of people and, and how that transformation plays out. And so 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what's happening in this passage is that, that John is saying we ought to love one another. And then he's saying, why should we love one another? Because we have been loved by God. We're recipients of God's, of God's love. And if God so loved us, then we ought also to love one another. And so our lives are transformed by the love of God. And then John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And so that is uh, the love that Christians have for one another is your strongest testimony in this community. I was living in Puerto Rico and was here in the Harrisonburg area for some reason and I needed, I needed a ride uh, back to Charlottesville to catch the flight of an airplane, an airplane flight. And it so happened that our former mail carrier, and I lived up in the, in the Dayton area, our former mail carrier was a man by the name of Burnell Hill and he had a brother who was a flight? Uh, who was an air traffic controller at Charlottesville? And I guess John uh, here or somebody uh, arranged that I get a ride with his air traffic controller back to Charlottesville. And as we was riding along, he was talking to me, and he was telling me how that he had gone to the Brunk revivals, to George Brunk revivals. But this man was a, a member of the Church of the Nazarene, and apparently he had. I don't know if he had church shopped or, or what, but he went to that, they, they went to this Nazarene church and they were just treated like that, you know, they were long lost friends. They were just loved by that congregation. And so that's where they became, they became a part of that church. And so uh, I know there's more dynamics involved in attracting people to church. I mean, there's, there's different dynamics involved, but a new commandment I give to you that you love one another 
as I have loved you, and that you also that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This is my commandment, uh, John 15, 12 to 13. Let me read that. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. We have... <clears throat> sometimes have trouble laying down our money for one another, much less our lives. Ephesians 5, 2, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So if we have been transformed by the love of God, then we have been transformed to love, to show that love. And it's the same goal in child rearing when we ask, how can we best love our children with the hope that, that they will learn to love? Uh, as we love our children, then our children will learn to love. As God loved us, then we should uh, be transformed by that same love. So how does the love that results from divine transformation manifest itself? Well, I would like to um, draw attention to one thing. Remember I asked you to let this thing simmer on the back burner, and that is, was it in Christ's best interest for God to give his son for our, for our atonement? Was it Christ's best interest to go to the cross? And I'd like to suggest that looking at things in the best interest is too narrow of a focus for uh, in which to view life. To think about, is this in my best interest? Is this in my children's best interest? Is it in my family's best interest? And I'm suggesting that that is too narrow of a focus for us to look through life. It's, it's like, you know, looking through an old... Uh, uh, keyhole or, or something. The focus is too narrow. We need a broader focus than to think about our best interest. Best interest is awful close to self-interest. And self-interest soon becomes selfish. And so when we think about best interest, it's easy to slide into what I want, a, a selfish a way of looking. We need to look with life at life with a larger purpose and whether it seems uh, to serve our best interest. The Bible says in Philippians that let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Since Christ acted in love rather than his own narrow interests, we can celebrate Christmas. We can celebrate this coming week. We here in our setting don't celebrate much about Holy Week. But in Hispanic settings, they talk about Holy Week. And so there's, there's more emphasis on, uh, perhaps more emphasis on this week, or at least even on Good Friday, than, uh, than, what, than what we do. But because Christ was not, in a sense, that's the wrong question. To ask whether it was in Christ's best interest uh, 
for God to sacrifice him, give him as a sacrifice, that, that is the wrong question. God wasn't looking out in that sense for Christ's best interest. Christ wasn't concerned about his best interest. He offered himself. He was willing to transcend what was in his best interest. He was giving his best love to us. And perhaps if we would act in love more rather than in our own, what we consider our own best interest, it would allow others to celebrate the birth of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ in a personal way as well. I'd like to consider some aspects as we come to a conclusion here of our own personal lives and our parenting, uh, what that means to have been transformed by the best love. How does that affect our own personal lives and how does it affect our parenting? Um, to consider the interests of others and to look beyond what appears to be our own and our own children's best interest. Uh, to look, to live life out of the best love and have been transformed by the best love and consider what is the best love for other people rather than consider what is in my best interest makes a difference in our values. It makes a difference in our goals. It makes a difference in how we go about uh, living our lives. For one thing, in church, in church life, uh, it will make a difference in accepting willingness to accept assignments in the church or willing to do something for the good of others which I personally would not prefer to do. Sometimes we would not prefer to do some things. In fact, we may think it may not be in our best interest uh, to do that. Maybe we may think it may not be in our family's best interest, but sometimes we need to go beyond that in giving the best love uh, to do some things that we would prefer not to do or that would maybe cramp uh, some family time. And you know that some of the best family time is can be had in involving our family in church life. That is, that is good family time. Functioning out of the best love instead of in our own best interests may cause us to forego the most lucrative job or curtail the expansion of our business or even, uh, even though that may seem to be in our best interest, we're willing to give that up if that means that we would have more time and energy for the work of the Lord or to nurture our own families. Functioning out of the best love instead of our own best interests sometimes uh, has an effect on as we, as we uh, work together as a brotherhood. Uh, maybe it be in my best interest, uh, for instance, to... to uh, participate in some kind of health care insurance and just forego the brotherhood aid thing. And so not, not chip in because I can do it cheaper if I join Obamacare or do something like that. And so I'm looking for my best interest rather than participating in a, in a brotherhood school effort or medical sharing plan or whatever, it may not be to my best interest, but is it the best love that I give to the brotherhood in other people's uh, best interests? 
Another thing having to do with our best interest uh, or our best love may have to do with uh, as we think about providing for our family and providing a place for our family, providing a, a home, a house uh, for our family. You know, we can think about the location or the geography or, or the situation or the architecture or the furnishings or, or whatever of our houses, of our homes, our residents, and what is in the best interest of our children, our families. Uh, the first house, first two houses we lived in were wood frame houses with wood siding and then we in the process of our lives we've lived in a couple of mobile homes and we've lived in a couple of houses that were concrete houses in Puerto Rico and we presently living in a in a brick house but you know when our family is together our children don't talk about uh, you know whether they don't talk about the features of the house they don't talk about the furniture that's not the type of thing that the, that our children remember or, or they talk about Things that you know, may we fuss a, uh, fuss about or think is important in a house, but yet that's not that's not really generally what has the lasting, lasting uh, memories. What is uh, important is that we are showing the best love to our children, that we are uh, spending time with our children, that we are involving our children in in the work of God, that we're involving our children in our lives and not that we are uh, building them some earthly mansion uh, here below. Sometimes living in the best love, we may allow or enable someone else to take advantage of a business opportunity, even though it's in our best interest, we think, to take it ourselves, because we know that that person needs it worse than we do. And so we facilitate that person or allow that person uh, that business opportunity even though you know, we would like it ourselves. We may encourage our children to consider VS opportunities, even though it's in our best interest, we think, for them to stay home and help us, or for them to get ahead financially. Uh, but our best love considers what is, is best in, as transformed people to, to show love for other people. And I'm assuming you wives and mothers give up your own best best interest all the time in serving your families. Uh, real wives and real mothers do that all the time. Give up their own preferences and what they think may be their best interests. Um, it's in their best interest to stay in bed and get some sleep instead of getting up and taking care of the baby that's, that's sick. Uh, and then there's just all kinds of things. But you get the idea. Our best interest and our children's best interest can be very narrow, selfish interest if we're thinking uh, along those lines. But we can and we should do better because we've been loved, we've been taught, we've been transformed by the best love, and that should flow through our lives. And in truth, our best interest, our best interest and those of our children really is to follow the path of transformed love. And I would like to uh, bring this together with a quote that captures a lot of what this sermon was about and is this, loved people love people, hurt people hurt people. And we have been loved by the best love and so we should love people.
As recipients of the best love, is there any reason for us to hurt people? Should we not rather be obedient to God in response to that love and go beyond our own best interests to the interests of others? Shall we sing a song together?